that, the message for today is called Taking and Giving. Maybe you found yourself before in a tough spot in life, and you needed to depend on the help of others to get you through. When I say maybe, I know all of us have experienced that at some point. It's called being a baby, right? Like when you're a baby, you're not able to provide for yourself. And a baby doesn't get food unless somebody provides. So we've all been at a spot in our life before where we were forced to be dependent on somebody else's generosity in caring for us. But as we get older, we start to become more and more independent, and some of us become ultra-independent. And we can't imagine ever having to be dependent on somebody else to help provide for our needs. Well, in today's passage, which, by the way, will be the second to last in our long series in the long book of Acts, so we're in the final chapter, Acts chapter 28. Today we're looking at verses 1 to 16, and then next week we'll wrap this series up by looking at the rest of Acts chapter 28. But here in verses 1 to 16, we're going to see this. We're going to see people who were forced to both take and give as God provided. Just quick context. When we left off, the author of this book, who is the doctor and historian Luke, is traveling on a ship with the Apostle Paul, who's a prisoner, another believer named Aristarchus. We don't know what the rest of the people believe about Jesus. But we know there's 276 of them on the ship, many of them prisoners being transported from Caesarea eventually to Rome is the intended destination. The, the, the journey started, you know what, man, rather than me explaining it, if you weren't here last week, what kids did, I handed out sheets of paper to kids and to, to middle school and high school students, and they drew pictures of Acts chapter 27, scene one, scene two, and scene three, and those pictures are way better than any summary that I can get. Kids, you did an excellent job. And by the way, if you want to, yeah, thank you kids. If you want to uh, draw every week, you can do that. Uh, not every passage that we look at is going to be quite as easy to draw as last week was. And I'm not going to give you instructions, but, and we're not going to hang it up every week, but you could probably hang it up at home if you talk to mom or dad about that. So uh, if you didn't get a chance to go look at those pictures on that wall over there, that's the summary of Acts 27. God spared the life of all 276 people in the midst of a long, dark, seemingly hopeless storm at sea. Paul initially thought, you know what? We probably shouldn't go because of the time of year it was. It's going to get stormy. And he was right. But God also let Paul know through an angel that I will cause all 276 people on this ship to survive. And the way they survived was by shipwreck. Off of an island, they, they hit into a reef, and the ship was torn apart. Some were saved by swimming to shore, and others who couldn't swim had to float into shore on pieces of the ship that had been torn apart. And so that's where we left off last week. Well, they're heading to a shore, but what shore is it? Where are they headed? If you're able to, would you stand as we read God's Word? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we've come to you a number of times already today because we need you. 
we just confess when we pray that we're not just people who have all sorts of stuff and are ready to give, but we're people who have all sorts of needs, and you are the God who stands ready to give in order that you might supply our needs and that we might supply the needs of others as well. And so I pray that you would help us to see that clearly as we see people both taking and giving in this passage today. Thank you that you, God, are faithful, that you have given us your word, that you have allowed me to spend some time this week studying it, praying through it, and I pray that now uh, my words would, would be in line with what your word has to say, that we as a people might better understand, believe, and obey what you say by your spirit in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 16, here is God's word. After we were brought safely through... We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, In the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Amen. You can be seated. So if you want to draw a picture, you can draw a picture. If you'd rather take sermon notes, there is a sermon notes page inside your bulletin. I invite you to use that if that would be helpful for you. So you get the picture of where we were and now how all of a sudden onto the shore of this island called Malta, 276 passengers who had just been through quite a bit. They were in no position to be ready to to be helpful or giving to the people on the island of Malta. Instead, they were weak and tired and super hungry. 
They had eaten once, I think, over the course of 14 days, and then when they thought everything was hopeless, they had thrown everything out of the ship, expecting that they were going to die. And so now, as they arrive here, it's the beginning of the winter season there, and it's cold and it's rainy. I'm sure a sense of relief among the guys, like we actually made it to a shore of somewhere, and a sense of like, well, okay, so now what happens? Because I'm not sure uh, who these people are. Probably they didn't understand their language. The ESV translates there in, in chapter 28, verse 2, it says the native people. More literally, it would be the non-Greek speaking people. Okay, so, so more than likely, there was a challenge, a barrier that that prevented communication from the men who had been shipwrecked and the people living on the island. Hard for them to communicate with each other. Well, are are these people going to be hostile towards us? Are they going to see us as invaders? How are they going to look at us, right? But what we see is God's provision to the people like Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and the many others on the ship His provision to them comes through these people who live on the island called Malta. How does that happen? Well, it says in verse 2, They showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. What a relief. I mean, to to be gathered together around a fire. I went on a backpacking trip with some other pastors uh, this past summer in the mountains of Colorado. And there was a time where it just downpoured. And we were, we were soaking wet. A few of us had stayed back at the camp, but there was two guys who had been out on the trail somewhere. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a pretty serious storm, and the temperature just dropped like crazy. In the nighttime there, it would get into the 30s. Well, when these guys came back, we knew they were on their way back. We had walkie-talkies and had been communicating with them. We knew when they came back, they would be cold and super wet. And, and just for their safety, we needed to dry them. So we're trying to use wet wood to get a fire started uh, so that they could be warm. That was incredibly encouraging and refreshing and necessary for them after a few hour journey out on the trail. These guys have shipwrecked and been through a two week storm on the sea before arriving. And so they needed a lot of things, including a fire on that day. How encouraging that must have been that they received that. But then there's some drama. And in the midst of the drama, we're going to learn something about the worldview of the people living on the island called Malta. Okay? The drama comes when Paul, trying to be helpful, is gathering up a pile of sticks for kindling on the fire. Uh, And if you're drawing a picture, this would be a cool picture to draw, right? He's doing that, and as the heat of the fire... Uh, hits those sticks, there was a poisonous snake, a viper, living inside those sticks, like hanging out in those sticks. And so the viper comes out and latches on to Paul's hand. Okay, as the people of the island have seen this happen before, this is how people die, right? So that's what they're expecting to happen. Verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hands. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, now here's where we're going to learn something about their worldview. 
their interpretation of the events, remember they've just seen these people experience a shipwreck off the shore and they've survived and made it to the land. They've probably figured out that some of these people are prisoners, right? And here's where we get a little bit of their worldview. They think, since the viper is hanging from Paul's hand, no doubt this man is a murderer, okay? We, we don't know what the charges are of this, but he must be a murderer. Why do they assume he's a murderer? Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So, so they have this, this vague sense of, of either the concept of justice, you might call it almost fate the way they're looking at it. Well, fate has determined, oh, this guy who has committed some crime, he survived shipwreck only to get bitten uh, by a poisonous snake. He must be really bad, and here's how he's going to die. He must be a murderer. Okay? So that's the assumption. Or if you see also in the ESV, they capitalize justice because there was a Greco-Roman goddess named that. So, so maybe either they worship some, some false god or just this vague concept of justice, one or the other, but we learn something about their worldview. So they're anticipating, I love the way Luke even writes it, uh, verse 5, he, however, this is Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Look at verse 6. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. Now, that's bad entertainment. But they, they were just waiting. They're like, well, when's the part? They've seen this probably happen before. That's why they're waiting for it. When's the part where he gets all puffy and dies? But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds. So first they're thinking he's a murderer because he got bit by a snake and he's going to die. And then they watch and he doesn't die like, oh, well, he must be a god, right? They're wrong on both accounts. They said that he was a god. Remember, this isn't the first time that happened to Paul. Remember back in Acts chapter 14, they, they, they watched Paul doing his ministry and they're like, oh, that's Hermes and Zeus, right? They, they, they attributed godhood uh, to Paul before as well. But they're doing it here now. So these people, uh, not believers in the one true God, right? Uh, whether or not they've been introduced to the one true God, we don't know. But not believers in Him. They believe something else. But did you notice how kind they are? Like we've seen that in our lives too, right? People who don't believe in the one true God, who don't trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, they can still be really, really, really nice people, right? And these people are really, really nice. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island. Okay, so everybody's probably taking their cues from the chief. His name was Publius. And, and it says here, He received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. So even the most important person on the island is caring for them in a sacrificial way, entertaining them hospitably for three days. So these pagans are being extremely kind, and in fact, they're giving Paul and his companions and his fellow prisoners and the Roman soldiers what they need. God is providing, and he's providing through a pagan people. And so Paul and those other 275 men are in a position where they need to be takers, right? 
They, they don't have much they can give in these first moments of landing on the island, but they need a whole lot. And they're needy, and God provides through their, for their needs through the people on the island of Malta. But then, Paul is, is going to have a chance to also be a giver. Okay? That's what we see in verses 8 and 9. God has given Paul a, a gift to use for the good of others. What is that? Well, in this case, it's the gift of healing. He visits with a sick man and prays for the sick man, and then he lays hands on the sick man, who happens to be the father of the chief, right? Lays hands on him, and he is healed. And we've seen this kind of thing happen in the Gospels. As you read about the earthly ministry of Jesus, over and over again we see Jesus healing people with all sorts of different physical conditions. And when Jesus heals one person, what happens? Most of the time other people show up who also need to be healed. That's what happens here too. Look at verses 8 and 9. After Paul heals the father of the chief, in verse 8, it says this in verse 9, And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Now, again, there was probably a language barrier. And so there's not a lot of things maybe that they could have said that one another would have understood. But you don't need a lot of language to figure out that this person was sick they came to this person, this person put their hands on them, and now this person who was sick is healed. And that didn't just happen with one person. That happened with multiple people there on the island. And so they can understand that, certainly. Now, I should know that this is one of the few places in the book of Acts where we see Paul spending any significant amount of time with a group of people, and we have no mention of the gospel being preached. You know, throughout the book, it's just like everywhere he goes, Paul is preaching the gospel. He's using his words to tell others about Jesus. And then we're often told what their response was. But here, we don't have any of that. We don't hear about Paul preaching, and we don't hear about response. That might be because the Holy Spirit just didn't in, in, inspire Luke to write that down, and it happened. It might be that because of the language barrier, he couldn't. But either way... This ministry that God has given Paul for this time, this gift he's given the Apostle Paul of healing, has certainly gotten the attention of the people on the island of Malta. So don't you think the next time like, a missionary would show up there, they would recall all of these healings and the ground has been cultivated and a seed has been planted, right? Through this kind of ministry. Just a side note, by the way, Malta is still an island country off the coast of Italy, uh, and it's the Maltese people that live there. Um, and I was reading about it and found that now on that island, it's 90% Roman Catholic, one of the most Catholic places in all of Europe. Um, there are also, though, a few evangelical churches now on the island. So I didn't read the whole history to know what happened between Paul's shipwreck there in the first century and right now, but something happened. Now, Paul got to be both a taker and a giver so far, and there's one more opportunity for him to be a taker, a receiver. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 tells us this. They also, that is the people on the island of Malta, honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Isn't that cool? 
Like the only thing we hear about these people from Malta is a little bit about their worldview, which is not the same worldview that Paul has. They don't worship the one true God of the Bible. But over and over again, we just see their generosity. And even when it's time for them to depart, like what do you need? Let's, let's put it on the ship for you. We want to we provide for your needs. So Paul and his companions have been both givers and takers. Let's pause. Before we look at the last five verses, pause for application. Application point number one is this. We take and we give as God provides. You probably have a preference, either taking or giving, right? Some of us have no problem being a taker, receiving things from other people. Some of us have no problem with that. Others of you, you struggle. Like you love to give to other people and you kind of have a hard time asking for help. You kind of have a hard time receiving from others, Personally, I lean a little more towards the struggle to be a taker, but I'm learning side, okay? Someone told me a while back, this is one thing that helped me, someone told me a while back that when, when somebody desires to give something and I refuse it, I'm revealing two things. I'm revealing my own pride, like, oh no, I'm self-sufficient, I could never take it. Like, I'm revealing my pride and I'm also depriving them of the joy of giving. And so that's been one reason that, that I've started to grow in this willingness to be not only a giver but also a taker. A few weeks ago, I was reading and praying through Psalm 40 in my morning devotions. And I came across this verse that I'd underlined previously. And I wrote it on a post it note and I put it on my desk and it's been there ever since because I need that reminder. By the way, this was written by a king, okay? And he wrote this, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. It's a humbling thing to, to call yourself someone who is poor and needy, especially when we know that God has given us much. But I know I need to acknowledge that more often because of the pride that still dwells in my own heart. God provides in many ways, sometimes through surprising sources. Let me tell you a quick story, just from our family's life. When Kirsten was 10 weeks pregnant with our youngest, Mariah, Kirsten experienced horrible pains in her chest, went to the emergency room, and eventually ended up in the hospital for a number of days where she discovered she had experienced a pulmonary embolism. When she got home from the hospital... She was weak. I was trying to do my job as a youth pastor. We had two active preschool children that required a lot of time and attention. And we were forced in that time to admit our weakness. We had little to give and we needed to become takers. And God provided. You know how God provided? One of the ways that God, he provided in lots of different ways. One of the ways was God provided a lady in our church named Lupe and her friend Maite, who was a Cuban immigrant, who had started a little cleaning business on their own. And Lupe and Maite came to our house every week for about seven months. And <laughs> you make a mess in your house, right? And there's parts of your house like, hey, if people are coming over, I'm going to clean that before people come over. Well, they were coming over to clean our house before we got to clean up the messes that you like to clean up before people come over. And it was humbling. 
It was humbling to receive that from them. But they saw a need and they said, we're going to do this. And they came and met that need for us. We learned to be takers at that time. What about you? Have you swallowed your pride and learned to ask for help and being willing to receive it at times from others? Giving them, not, not depriving them of the joy of giving? God often provides through others. Sometimes it's through fellow believers and sometimes it's through people who aren't, like the people here on the island of Malta. I'm grateful to be a part of a church where a lot of people give in all sorts of different ways. Because not only does God provide so that we can be receivers, but God provides in order that we might be givers. This benevolent offering that we took last week, that's another example. We've seen them over and over again of here's a need as God provides our church gifts. Thank you for that. Some of you are like, well, I don't have a lot of money. That's fine. There's all sorts of ways that other people in our church are giving. We have some people that are just prayer warriors. They, they give hours of their time to pray for other people in the church who are in need. And we pray and watch God work. We have other people in the church who have gifts that are you know, very visible. They're, they're singers, they're teachers, they do something, they play an instrument. And we notice, hey, I don't have that gift, but they're using their gift in order to serve other people. Others in the church are just great at recognizing, hey, here's some people in need. Like Lupe and Maite, nobody knew what they were doing, right? And some of you, you're like that. You don't, people don't even know all the different things you do, all the text messages you send, all the phone calls you give, all the times you just go and you sit with somebody who's struggling, We've got all sorts of people in the church who willingly give of themselves and in their giving as God provides, they build up and encourage the body. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a church of both givers and takers. Let's look at the last five verses here. Verses 11 to 16, as God provides, we give thanks and take courage. So Paul and the other 275 men, they're served by pagans uh, and then they get on a ship. It's time to go. It tells us in verse 11, by the way, did you notice this? How long they stayed on the island? Three months, okay? They, they wintered there. The, the worst part of being on the sea, they had gone through the beginning season of like kind of fall into winter, and now they decided, you know what, we're not getting back on a ship for a bit, right? And no ships were leaving anyway. So they're wintering there on the island. They spend three months, and then it's time to set sail. So they get on a ship, and, and the ship, it tells us, this new ship they're on, has the twin gods. I, I looked up who those twin gods would be. They would be the gods named, oh, I wrote it in my notes. Well, maybe it doesn't matter. Castor, I think it was like Castor and Pollux or something like that, okay? Names of these twin gods, so, so they're, like, they're like good luck charms on this ship uh, for the Roman people who would have sailed on it, Right? And so they're on this, this ship with these good luck charms on it, and uh, they take the rest of the journey. Verses 12 to 13 are basically a kind of travel log, and so we're kind of looking at the part that you probably can't see from where you're at, of the, the final part of the journey from the Malta Island there, just south of Sicily, uh, all the way around Sicily and up till they get to Rome. And then there's this sentence 
that we've been waiting. Remember, ever since chapter 23, where the Lord promised to Paul that you will be my witness in Rome, and we've seen all these things happen. Paul's been a prisoner. He's had literal trial after trial. It's been more than two years. Then there's been a storm and a shipwreck and all these things. We've been waiting for Paul to finally get to Rome. And then the way Luke tells it is just like, where is it in verse 14, I think? Yeah, and so we came to Rome. (laughs) Like, that's it. Oh, like we've been waiting for this moment, and the narration is, and so we came to Rome. Well, we knew it, right? God had promised that we would get there, and so it's not a surprise that they got there. And then we also notice a couple of things. There were obviously already missionaries that had gone there before Paul. There were believers there in Rome, and the brothers there, it says, when they heard about us, verse 15, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And then I love what it says. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. See the two things Paul does? He's giving again and he's taking again. He's giving thanks and he's taking courage. Paul gave thanks. And by the way, he didn't give thanks to the twin gods Castor and Pollux. He didn't think, man, we made it safely because these two gods, uh, our good luck charms, were here on the ship with us. No, Paul acknowledges it's good to not just be thankful generally, but it's good to be specifically thankful for specific things that a specific God has provided for us, right? And so Paul thanks God and he takes courage. I mean, you would think, like, Paul, you deserve a vacation at this point after all you've been through, but Paul knows he's been given a mission from God, and if he's going to continue on with his mission as a prisoner now in Rome, he's going to need courage. And so he is thanking God and looking back at God's faithfulness, and this is a way that we take courage, right? That we can take courage as we look back at God's faithfulness and see all that God has brought us through. And that is part of how we take courage for what is going to come yet in the future. So Paul thanks God and takes courage. And then verse 16 really just kind of sets us up for what we're going to look at next week. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. A little more application. That's the passage for this week. A little more application for us. Maybe you've had an experience, something like Paul's, when you've been through a really dark season. But then you see someone and you're just overwhelmed with emotion and thankfulness. It doesn't say here that Paul was emotional. I can't imagine not being emotional. After arriving, after all of these things, waiting for over two years for God to fulfill his promise, he gets on shore and he sees brothers, right? Speaking back to that time when Kirsten was pregnant and had the pulmonary embolism and all this kind of fear and unknown and all this stuff that was going on, she's weak, she's in the hospital. Partway through that time, uh, my parents had offered like, hey, you need to focus on being with Kirsten. We'll, We'll take the other two kids. So I drove with the oldest two kids and we drove and I met my dad and I, I, I just not super emotional. I don't cry a whole lot. I, I can't remember the last time I cried around my dad. And I got out of the car and I saw my dad. I just lost it. There was somebody that God was providing for me. Um, 
I, I had just been through all this stuff. I tried to be tough. You know, like, I, I got to help. Like, Kirsten's weak. I got to be tough. The kids need a dad. I got to keep doing my job. How am I going to do all this? And then I got there and was like, man, I'm just a little kid, and there's my dad. God provides. And as he provides, we give thanks, and we take courage. That was helpful for me. It was helpful for me to cry and to be around my dad for just a few moments, and then to go back, like, all right, now I got to go back, and I do have to be tough. I do have to, like, but I, I'm weak, and so I need the strength that God provides as I seek to take care of Kirsten. Some of you are in a stormy season of life now. That's what we talked about last week. Dark, long, seemingly hopeless storms. That's where some of you are at. I hope that today you can be encouraged to look forward to a day when God provides and you come out on the other side giving thanks to Him and taking courage. Ready for the next challenge. Suited up for the next storm. Because God has once again faithfully and graciously provided for your every need. In the sermon notes page, I have two passages listed for the kind of final closing gospel application. We're not going to have time to go through both of them. We're just going to look at the one there in the book of Mark. We saw God's provision for Paul through the people on Malta. Paul and his companions and fellow prisoners, they needed some very basic things. They needed a fire. They needed something to wear, probably. They needed some, some food to eat. And God provided for all their needs. And we have all sorts of needs, too. We've got all sorts of problems. Anybody come here without problems? You've got problems, right? Some of you are going through a stormy season, and you're enduring suffering. You're enduring pain. You're enduring disease. You're enduring financial struggle. You're enduring broken relationships. Your house burnt. You know, whatever it might be. we got needs. And God provides but I can't be done with this sermon until I remind us of the way in which God provides for our most significant need. Because God can provide for those physical needs through all sorts of different means. These people, those people, believers, non-believers, God provides for our physical needs through all sorts of different means. But I've got some good news that God provides for our greatest need and there's only one means by which God provides for that need. Our greatest need is not a relief from pain or suffering or a healed relationship or a rebuilt house. That's not our most significant need. Our most significant need is forgiveness of sins. Restoration of a relationship that between us and God has been broken by our sin. Putting us in a place of not deserving God's love and provision, but deserving God's wrath and punishment. Yet... God has provided a way for us to be forgiven. How is that? Well, in the book of Mark, chapter 2, we see a, a picture of this. There's a guy with a real physical need. He's paralyzed. Guy can't walk. And so they don't have like all sorts of handicapped accessibility kinds of things that we have now. And so it was really hard, right? He, he didn't have social security checks coming in regularly. It was hard to be paralyzed, but thankfully this guy had some friends who cared for him. You might remember this story of how his friends trying to get this man to Jesus so that Jesus could heal the paralyzed man. They can't get to him because there's a big crowd. 
but Jesus is inside a place, and so they take the roof off of the place so that the man can be lowered down into it so that he can be healed. That's their goal. That's their aim. Hey, sick person, paralyzed person needs to be made well. That's what they're aiming at. But remember what happens? Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 5 to 12. I'm just going to read it. It says this, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Well, he was coming to get his legs healed up. And Jesus' response is, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, that's how Jesus is referring to himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Right? So the man had a presenting need, and it was physical, and Jesus had the ability to provide, and ultimately he did, but Jesus was trying to reveal, this man has a greater need, just like you do, just like I do. I don't know what all your needs are physically, but our greater need for all of us is that our sins would be forgiven. And there's only one who has authority to forgive sins. Like you don't forgive, you don't, you don't like figure out a way to forgive yourself. You, don't, you need forgiveness from other people, but ultimately the only one who can forgive us of our sins that restores our right relationship with God is God. And God forgives our sins through the one who came to live as our representative and die as our substitute. That is Jesus. And so our hope is only in Jesus. God has provided for our greatest need in Christ and we receive the free gift of forgiveness by faith. We just trust in Jesus. Jesus himself gave us a way to remember this. That it's his work that provides forgiveness of sins. And so we take communion every month to be reminded of this. So that's what we're going to be doing here in just a moment. And so could those who are going to be serving us communion come and prepare for that, and the rest of us will bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father, you are good, and you are a God who supplies our every need. We know what we deserve from you. We deserve your just punishment for our sins, but instead you have given us mercy. God, would you help us to be people who gratefully, humbly take what you have so generously given to us? We, we know we, we can't just be givers. We need to be takers. We need to receive the free gift that you've given to us in your Son. And I pray that you would work in our hearts to remind us of our sin and to remind us of your mercy as we receive the bread and cup that remind us of your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen.